Hello and welcome to Right Now with Ralph Martin, a podcast where author, speaker, and worldwide renewal leader, Dr. Ralph Martin, shares what the Holy Spirit is stirring up in the church right now, words of encouragement from the Lord to strengthen you for such a time as this. The purpose of this show is to encourage you for this moment in history, and our first episode is no exception. This week is all about the upcoming presidential election and its global consequences. So without further ado, I bring you your host, Ralph Martin. Brothers and sisters, like many of you, perhaps, I've been puzzling over the last several weeks about how to think about and how to talk about the upcoming American election. One of the things I've begun to realize is that what's happening in the American election is not just of relevance to America, but it really will have an impact throughout the world. Recently, Cardinal Muller, one of my theological heroes, he served for five years as head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith in Rome, said as much. He said this American election and the issues in it are going to impact the whole world. However, it's not just a matter of political parties. We're involved in a tremendously brutal, violent, vicious, spiritual battle. So I'd like to begin my reflections by reading a passage from the book of Revelations, chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. That war that broke out in heaven is now raging so intensely here on earth. It has been since the beginning, but it's taking a particularly significant turn right now. Several weeks ago, I did my weekly video on the signs that Scripture tells us will accompany the return of the Lord, or things that need to happen before the Lord returns. And I talked about how Paul said that the great apostasy has to happen first. And we can see all over the world a tremendous apostasy happening, a tremendous hostility to Christ and his church growing, a tremendous turning away from faith on the part of Catholic and Christian nations that used to have faith. Then the second sign was a removal of the restrainer on the evil and lawless spirit. We're seeing that in a really significant way. My, my friend Peter Herbeck did a video a few weeks ago on how four restraints on evil are being systematically destroyed. First restraint is the restraint of conscience, that there's something in every single one of us that knows right from wrong. But conscience is being deadened, it's being deformed, it's being stifled in many, many people today because of the culture. The second Restrainer on evil is the integrity of the family, the authority of God that he places in fathers of families. And of course, we're seeing families destroyed. We're seeing many fatherless children. We're seeing a tremendous hostility to fatherhood growing in our culture. You know, the attack on our founding fathers here in the United States. Yes, they had their flaws, but they brought about a country that had many values that the whole world was envious of and that God blessed in many, many ways. 
The founding fathers had flaws, but they were founding fathers. And the attack on the founding fathers is almost an attack on fatherhood, on even God the Father. The third restraint on evil is the authority that God gives to governments to punish evildoers. What we're seeing these days is really very strange. Sometime we're, see, we're seeing evildoers being bailed out of prison and the authority of the police and, and the government being prosecuted. We'll maybe talk a little bit more about that later. Of course, the fourth restrainer on evil is the church itself. The church is now very divided, very confused. We see cardinals against cardinals and bishops against bishops. We see bishops' conferences taking in opposite interpretations of something that Pope Francis said that wasn't crystal clear. So we're, the church is in no position to resist evil right now with one voice. The church is divided. As Pope Paul VI said, the fumes of Satan have arisen even within the church. But this battle now is taking forms. It's taking, it's, it's taking, it's involving people. It's involving organizations. So what about the specific American election? How are these issues? How is the spiritual warfare being played out? Well, a lot of the candidates running for office these days are promising to safeguard abortion and to even, even make it even more widely available, even till the moment of birth and even after birth, letting children that are born alive die. So what's a Catholic to do who maybe has been a lifelong member of a political party that is now taking this position? Well, the American bishops came out with a statement on how to approach voting. What they said is abortion is the preeminent issue and that nobody who's a, who's a legitimate Catholic could ever vote for a candidate because of their stand on abortion. They also said there are other issues and we're not single issue voters, but that in order to vote for a candidate who is promoting abortion, the other issues would have to be of equal value and worth. And what's really clear today is that there's no other value of equal value or worth than the killing of babies. It's not just church teaching. It's actually killing babies. You know, like Bishop McClory, uh, Bishop or Robert McClory, who just became the new bishop of Gary, Indiana. We're very happy. He's a member of the board of Renewal Ministries. He re recently wrote a wonderful uh, article on this where he said, what could possibly be commensurate to the killing of 63 million babies, nothing. There's nothing that's commensurate to that. Cardinal Muller said that abortion is the preeminent issue and there are other important issues like, for example, capital punishment. He says, I'm against capital punishment, but there's no commensurate value between the occasional execution of a murderer and the widespread killing of innocent babies. There's no commensurate proportion between those things. And so no Catholic, he said, could possibly vote for anybody who's supporting abortion. So this is a pretty clear speech from pretty, pretty responsible people. But I don't think it's just abortion that's at stake. I don't think it's just the killing of innocent children and how horrible that really is. Slicing and dicing babies in their womb, puncturing their skulls, injecting poison fluids into them, uh, crushing their skulls as they come out of their mother's womb. I mean, I mean, how how much more barbarous is satanic could something be? 
And yet so many people have become blinded to it. As important, as absolutely central as this issue is, I don't think we could ever vote for somebody who favors it, just like Cardinal Muller and Bishop McClory have said, there's no commensurate value. It's not the only issue. Some of the other issues are very important. For example, the destruction of marriage and the family. Many political candidates now are saying that they're doubling down on promoting LGBTQ agenda. Basically, the sexual revolution that began in the 60s is reaching its horrendous conclusion, where it's becoming more and more almost a crime to say that there's anything wrong with sexual immorality, that there's anything wrong with fornication or adultery or homosexual activity or people being a certain biological agenda and feeling like they could change it. The very structure of the human race is under attack right now. Uh, God created them, male and female. He created for a man and a woman to join together and be open to life. That's a sacred institution, and it's the foundation of all sane society. One of the reasons why there's so much social disorder today is that more and more people or babies are being born out of wedlock. Thank God they're being born, but they're being born without fathers or without mothers in broken families. Uh, you know, years ago, the illegitimacy rate was extremely low. For example, even in the African-American community, which now is seeing 70% of their babies born out of wedlock, 40 or 50 years ago, it was like 7 to 10%. It isn't because of being part of an ethnic group that this thing has to happen. This thing happens because of a descent into lawlessness, a descent into morality, sometimes fostered by government policies. There's another issue, though, that's extremely important. Sounds abstract. It's called religious freedom. You know what religious freedom about is about? It's about the ability to be free to worship God according to our faith and to speak about it in the public forum and not be persecuted for it. You know, more and more priests and bishops are feeling intimidated to speak about some of the basic truths of the faith that are important for salvation. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, don't let anybody deceive you. The immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. The fornicator, the adulterer, the person who engages in homosexual activity, the thief, the robber, the drunkard, and so many other really serious sins. But certain of those sins, if you preach now in a Catholic church, half the congregation is going to say, I'm leaving, or that's divisive, or that's not what Pope Francis says, or uh, that's being unreasonable. The church needs to get with the times, but no. So many people are saying, unless you change your preaching and teaching, you're going to be left behind. You're not on the right side of history. But you know what? What they're calling the right side of history is insanity. People are going to be falling headlong into disorder and, and chaos. The suicide rate is rising. The anxiety and depression rate is rising. Uh, the pain in human relationships is increasing. And people who think they're on the right side of history are going to find themselves falling off a cliff. And that's exactly what St. Faustina said in one of her revelations. There's a broad way and a narrow way. The broad way that's easy to follow, and many are following it, people are going to fall into the abyss. The narrow way has pain to it. It's difficult. Uh, but at a certain moment, we're going to open up into a clearing. It's going to be paradise, and we're going to forget all our sorrow and all our pain as we're welcomed into the Father's house. So something's really at stake in the election. 
the salvation of souls is at stake, the killing of babies is at stake, the, the integrity of the family, marriage and the family is at stake, and religious freedom is at stake. We need to be able to be free as Catholic Christians to speak the truth in love. We need to be able to preach the gospel. But right now, it's almost like with the early Christians, you know, they were almost, they were being compelled to offer incense to the emperor. Today, we're being increasingly compelled by a, a culture that's under the control of the evil one, that, that has many Marxist elements in it, radical revolutionary aspects in it. They're asking us to now offer incense to the sexual revolution to say not only that this can be tolerated in a diverse pluralistic society, but that this is good, that this is noble, that this is equal to Christian marriage. And maybe some of you are even claiming it's better. Horrible deception. But now the vice is tightening around the Catholic Church. And if candidates who support these kinds of things, and many candidates do, they say that LGBTQ rights need to be take priority over religious freedom. That's why the battle over the Supreme Court, that's why the battle in this coming election is so important. It really strikes at the very life of the church to be able to be who, it, who we need to be and to preach the gospel. And the gospel is, is the only hope the human race has. The gospel is the only hope that America has. The gospel is the only hope that the world has of ending up in the Father's house and not ending up in the dark abyss. Now, why would Cardinal Muller a German, say such strong things about the American election because he thinks it's important for the whole world. And it's really interesting, but there is a global elite that's organized, that's coordinated, that's combining lots of radical revolutionary groups together, trying to impose on the world, sometimes in the name of climate control or uh, population control or uh, human rights for the sexual revolution or reproductive rights, as they call it, uh, an agenda that's influencing every country. You know, there's a, a scripture that says that in, in days to come, the doctrines of demons are going to be infiltrated into the church through plausible liars. Well, they're happening. It's happening right now. I want to just talk to you about a, a couple particular things that are happening that are an evidence of the power that's at work right now uh, and the issues that are work at stake in, in the election. There's a, this is what Cardinal Mueller says. The world is looking to America because this fateful election will determine the future of democracy. He's talking about freedom, freedom of religion and human rights. He's talking about the rights of babies not to be killed in the womb and many other human rights as well. Then he goes on to say, in this regard, the leaders of the Catholic Church must also see the deeper dimensions of what is at stake at this moment in world history. Rather than offering a judgment based on subjective sensibilities and ideological preferences, what would it be like to vote on the basis of subjective sensibilities and ideological preferences? Well, an ideological preference would be, I've always voted for this party because this party was for the working man years ago. That's a sentimental ideological vote that's not based on the issues or what it would be 
what would it be to base uh, our vote on subjective sensibilities? Well, this is a, this is a hard one. The person who represents the best protection of human life may be an obnoxious personality. We we may not like how they conduct themselves as a human being, but we know that they will protect human life. They will protect religious freedom. We need to get over our subjective sensibilities and our ideological preferences and our historic cultural sentimental attachments and look at the issues and look at what's going to happen if certain people are elected. Look at the babies. Look at the family. Look at the church and its ability to be the church and to say what it needs to say for the salvation of the world. But he goes on to say, the human right to life is so fundamental that it cannot be equated with other political issues. The moral law declares a categorical no to the killing of children in the womb, handicapped children after birth, and sick and elderly people. And he says, I am also opposed to the application of the death penalty for serious criminals. But the death penalty for murderers cannot be compared to the murder of innocent children. Therefore, a candidate who does not clearly oppose abortion and euthanasia is unelectable for a person who believes in God, and especially for every Catholic, because abortion is a heinous crime against the life of the person and against God, the creator of every human life. Let me talk a little bit about what we're up against, the organized opposition to the church, to human life, to the killing of babies. There's a coalition now of more than 90 organizations including huge international billions of dollars like Planned Parenthood, but lots of other radical organizations devoted to electing candidates who are going to further the sexual revolution, who are going to submerge the rights of religious freedom to the sexual revolution, who are going to devote themselves to dismantling the, the nuclear family. Uh, you know, the, we need to make a distinction between the Black Lives Matter organization, the global organization, and the wider Black Lives Matter movement, which very rightfully is calling out for us to address racism. But the Black Lives Matter global organization, before they took it off their website, said, we're devoted to the destruction of a nuclear family. We want to raise children as a, as a communal entity. Uh, we want to promote LGBTQ rights. That's what's at the heart of it. And that organization has gotten millions and millions of dollars from American corporations that have caved into pressure and threats and want to be seen to be on the right side of history, although they're, they're doing such a disservice to the human race by being on the right side of history. Anyway, there's huge billionaires that are funding all these things. One of them is called George Soros. Recently, the Attorney General of the United States warned that George Soros was putting money behind radical left candidates running in state elections to become prosecuting attorneys who will support open borders and turn from traditional law enforcement to support inclusive social change. Some of these radical left prosecuting attorneys have been successfully elected and are now refusing to prosecute the violence and mayhem that has accompanied recent riots in the United States but are prosecuting police and others trying to defend life and property from destruction. He gives heavily to Planned Parenthood, the American Civil Liberties Union, 
He's actively involved in influencing. I'm reading from my new book, by the way, A Church in Crises, Pathways Forward. Uh, this is just one chapter. It's chapter five. It's called Stop Straddling the Issue. He's influencing the direction of culture, education, and politics in countries all over the world. But on numerous occasions, he has said, and people who work with him have said, that the United States under its current leadership is the biggest obstacle to a new global humanism. And you know what they have in store as a new global humanism. When the coronavirus pandemic hit, he saw it as a once in a lifetime opportunity to accomplish his revolutionary goals. Quote, this is the crisis of my lifetime. Even before the pandemic hit, I realized that we were in a revolutionary moment where what would be impossible even or even inconceivable in normal times has become not only possible, but probably necessary. And then came COVID-19, which has totally disrupted people's lives and required very different behavior. It's an unprecedented event that probably has never occurred in this combination and it really puts in question the survival of our civilization. When Black Lives Matter really got going, they decided to double down on their support of radical leftist organizations. Uh, a few months after the Black Lives Matter movement came to prominence, and incidentally, I'm all for doing an examination of conscience and examining racism in our own lives and in the culture, I'm all for taking away any vestiges of discrimination I really do believe it's more difficult for black Americans to get ahead in our culture than white Americans. I think we need to look into see why that's the case and, and really do everything we can to remove those obstacles. But the organization is a different matter. A few months after Black Lives Matter movement came to prominence, Soros's foundation committed $220 million to progressive black led organizations and another $70 million to organizations working to change policing and to train young political activists. The president of the Soros Foundation said, quote, now is the time for them to double down on their investment in social and political change. Quote, the moment we've been investing in for the last 25 years, it's time to double down. And we understood we could place a bet on these activists black and white, who see this as a moment of not just incrementalism, gradual change, but whole-scale reform. Unfortunately, it is George Soros and his money that's supporting many experts that are now being called to speak at Vatican conferences, particularly by uh, Bishop Sorando, an Argentine bishop who leads the Pontifical Academy for Social Sciences. He's the same bishop who recently returned from a trip to the People's Republic of China, claiming unbelievably that they're implementing Catholic social teaching better than anywhere else. This is an exact quote from Bishop Sarando. At this, at this moment, those who best realize the social doctrine of the church are the Chinese. The Chinese right now are conducting a massive campaign to crush every single religion in China. A uh, Chinese Catholic bishop under this pressure just recently got up and spoke publicly saying it's more important that we obey the Communist Party than the canon law of the Catholic Church. The law of the Ch Chinese Communist Party is more important than the law of the Catholic Church. The church is being systematically crushed. Churches are being torn down. Crucifixes are being torn down. The same is happening to Muslims. 
Muslims are being sent by the millions to re-education camps. How a Catholic bishop in such a key position, one of the chief advisors to Pope Francis on these issues, could ever say the Chinese Communist Party is implementing Catholic social teaching better than anybody else's is unbelievable. For the fourth consecutive year, one of these secular population control experts spoke at a Vatican conference. He spoke at a conference in connection with the Youth Symposium in 2019. The title of the conference is something, Intergenerational Leadership, Laudato Si, the Pope's Encyclical on the Environment, and the Sustainable Development Goals. The Sustainable Development Goals are published by the United Nations. Goal number 3.7 and goal number 5.6 are devoted to assuring that by 2030, universal access to sexual and reproductive health services, including for family planning and the integration of reproductive health into national strategies and programs will be implemented throughout the world. Reproductive health is shorthand for abortion and all kinds of other things. At the end of the conference, Catholic youth came out of the conference holding up the sustainable development goals, including the the two goals calling for reproductive health to be implemented by 2030 in all the countries of the world. How these things happen in the Vatican is, is a puzzle. Cardinal Mueller finally warns, he says, there are powers interested in creating panic among the world's population with the sole aim of permanently imposing unacceptable forms of restriction on freedoms, of controlling people, of tracking their movements. The imposition of these illiberal measures is a disturbing prelude to the realization of a world government beyond all control. This is why Cardinal Mueller says the American election is so important. He says what's happening in China could happen here. We're sliding towards it. Marxist forces are really present in many of these radical organizations that are being funded by hundreds of millions of dollars, not only from Soros, but from American corporations that are giving into black moral threat and want to do virtual signaling to show that they're on the right side of history. Horrible situation. You might say, how can we ever stand against this? But you know what? When it's convenient and when it's inconvenient, we need to be ready to preach the gospel. And the only way we can stand, though, is by taking seriously Paul's instructions in Ephesians 6 about what to do when the war is raging, when spiritual warfare is raging. He says, we got to put on the spiritual armor of God. We got to put on the helmet of salvation. Brothers and sisters, the decision to believe Jesus Christ, the decision to follow Jesus Christ is the most important decision any of us can make. And nothing can happen without that. We cannot have a new global humanism unless we have new men and women who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, who have been healed by the Holy Spirit, have been formed and trained in the word of God. We can't have a new culture, a new humanism, a new world order without new people, new men and women redeemed in Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit and little by little transformed into a men and women of solid character who are capable of Christian marriages and are capable of virtue, the breastplate of holiness, We need to devote ourselves to holiness if there's any compromise in our own life. If we're straddling the issue anyway, if we have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, if we have one foot in sentimental attachments and ideologies and one foot in the Catholic Church, we need to make a decision. We need to depart from that that worldly attachment that we have, that sentimental attachment we have, and firmly 
firmly plant ourselves in Jesus Christ and his church based on his word as it comes to us in the scripture tradition, the catechism of the Catholic Church. There's confusion in the church right now, but you can go to the catechism and find out how it has accurately and faithfully transmitted the words of Jesus all these years. Another thing we need to do as part of the spiritual warfare is the shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery darts of the evil one. The devil's firing fiery darts into us all day long. It's coming through ads on TV. It's coming through social pressure. It's coming in all kinds of ways. But we need to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one with our faith in Jesus Christ, but also with our knowledge of the faith, our knowledge of his word, our knowledge of what the truth is, our knowledge about the broad way and the narrow way. And then finally, we need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need to speak the word of God to our friends, to our family, uh, in, in casual conversations. When the Lord gives us an opportunity, we have to be ready to give a reason for the hope we have because of Jesus. Now, we have to vote wisely. We have to realize what's at stake. We have to help other people vote wisely and realize what's at stake because the destiny of our country is at stake. And as Cardinal Muller says, how America goes, in some ways the whole world's gonna go. We're holding out against some of these Marxist forces. We need to continue to hold out, but you know what? Even if the pro-life candidates win, the battle's not over. Nobody's going to give up on the other side. The battle's not over. And even if pro-life candidates win, they're, they're, they're not God. They're not the Savior. And their political party is not the Savior. They can hold off evil for maybe another four years. But what's going to happen after that if there isn't repentance, if there isn't conversion? Like Mary said when she appeared at Fatima, World War I is going to end soon. If there isn't repentance, a worse war is going to come. 20 million people died in World War I. 50 million people died in World War II. There hasn't been repentance. And in fact, if anything, there's been the great apostasy. There's been a great turning away from God. Just before Jacinta died, Mary said to her in the hospital in Lisbon, wars are a punishment for sin. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how much time we have left to avert the judgment of God. I don't know how much time we have left to avert the judgment of God. A few weeks ago, I was talking about the incredible judgments that God makes on unrighteousness, that God makes on, on idolatry, that God makes on immorality, that God makes on people who abandon their faith and their, their covenant relationship with him. But I also know the promise of God in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people humble themselves and repent and seek my face, I will hear them from heaven and answer them and heal their land. Brothers and sisters, we need to use spiritual weapons in this fight, not just spiritual weapons. We need to help people understand what's at stake, and we need to vote wisely ourselves and help others to vote wisely. And if you find this of help, share it with others. But we need prayer. We need fasting. We need to examine our own lives. We need to repent where we need to repent. We need to ask God to have mercy on us. I've been asking the Holy Spirit to help me for the last couple of weeks, know what to say. I think he's helped me. Lord, we place our nation's destiny in your hands. We do not deserve mercy as a nation. Lord, we have offended you in so many ways. So many babies have been killed. So much, so much abuse of, of the gift of sexuality has happened. So much destruction of the family has happened. So much oppression of the poor has happened. 
Father, forgive us. Have mercy on us. Help us to turn back to you as a nation. Send a spirit of revival to us. Help us to send, turn back to you as a nation. Brothers and sisters, you know, if the pro-abortion candidates win, it doesn't mean all, that's, all is lost by any means. It means the battle is going to go on. It may mean that the Lord wants to permit this evil to unfold even greater and that religious freedom will be threatened. The family will be threatened, will be forced to burn. It will be required to burn incense to the sexual revolution, to a new world order that's atheistic, that's Marxist. And it may be that this is what the Lord could intend to further purify the church, to force us to stop straddling the issue. I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. I hope we can hold off evil longer so the possibility of repentance can be extended to us. I hope God has mercy on us one more time. But if he doesn't, it's going to be a real wake-up call for all of us to really decide where we stand, who we believe, who we're going to follow, and who and what we may be willing to die for. Amen. This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. For more information about Renewal Ministries, visit our website at renewalministries.net. Join us next week to find strength, hope, and courage for the Christian journey. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin.